Hello, I'm Zev Newworth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based, and humanistic system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, just last week, I launched a limited podcast series addressing how the COVID-19 pandemic is reframing healthcare in the U.S., you can find the 15-minute introductory episode I recorded and posted as episode number 82 on the Creating a New Healthcare podcast. In this limited series, I'm reaching out to interview future-facing healthcare leaders and entrepreneurs to ask two specific questions. First, how is the COVID-19 pandemic immediately changing the way you're delivering healthcare? And second, how will COVID-19 reframe healthcare for years to come? The situation is changing daily. So in order to share the remarkable insights from these interviews as quickly as possible, I'm going to be releasing a new episode every day or two this week and perhaps next week as well. And again, you can find all of these episodes under the Creating a New Healthcare podcast. Now, these are unprecedented times, so I hope you'll find valuable information, guidance, and inspiration in listening to these experts and entrepreneurs share how they're adapting to the pandemic in real time and how they're thinking about and planning for the future. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Dr. David Shulkin. Dr. Shulkin served as the ninth secretary of the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs as a member of President Trump's cabinet. Previous to that, he served as undersecretary of health, having been appointed by President Obama. Prior to entering the government, Secretary Shulkin was a widely respected healthcare executive. He served as CEO at the Beth Israel Hospital in New York City and Morristown Medical Center in North New Jersey. He also held senior physician leadership and academic positions at the nationally leading hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Shulkin has been named as one of the top 100 physician leaders by Becker's Hospital Review and one of the 50 most influential physician executives in the country by Modern Healthcare and Modern Physician. He's also been named by Modern Healthcare as one of the 100 most influential people in American healthcare. Dr. Shulkin is an absolutely brilliant leader. It's always a pleasure to speak with him, as you'll see. So without further ado, Dr. David Shulkin. David, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule right now to speak with us about this. And I've got three questions to ask you, and I'm, I'm open, of course, to hearing anything else you want to add. So the first question is, given your experience in the government and with the White House in dealing with and working with two presidents, could you just step back for a second? We're now three months into this global pandemic. It's been two months, I think, since it's been declared an emergency here in the U.S. Could you just step back and give us a briefing of where you think we are and what the situation is? Sure. I think that, first of all, this is a time that I think many people are reevaluating their feelings and beliefs about government, that over the past couple of years, many People have grown increasingly skeptical about what politicians and leaders and government does with all the partisan fighting that we've seen, the sort of political games that people have gotten used to and watching on TV every night. But when it comes to a crisis like this, you really focus on what the role of government is, which is to provide for the protection and safety of the population. And only government can play a role in situations like we're seeing today. So I believe that this is a reset of the way that people view how government should function and what they need and expect from it. When we take a look at this crisis, 
we saw the government really being very flat-footed in the beginning, being slow to recognize the international scope of a pandemic, the government being unprepared with diagnostic testing that did not allow us to have the information that we needed to effectively implement measures in time and climb blind. And now we're seeing a government that's really rolling into action that is taking uh, the swift actions that I think are needed, trying to play catch up on getting the supplies and equipment out to the field when, frankly, uh, time's running out in some areas of the country. So we're seeing sort of the best and the worst of government in action at the same time. And we're also seeing the conflicting messaging coming out of people that are what I would call the career officials and the political perspectives. And we're seeing some of that tension of policy development happening visible to all and transparent, which I think is realistic. I think that's always been the case where there's been tensions between career and political people. And ultimately, though, I think in this case, the severity of the virus infections are going to drive everybody towards the same answer, which is that even though the economic consequences that we're seeing are so significant of what we have to do, there's only one way to get through this crisis, and that's deal with it as a public health crisis. <laughs> Thank you for that unique perspective, given your purview and your experience. You know, there have been a few articles that have come out. I saw an article just this past week in the New York Times, in fact, a couple, and some commentary elsewhere that this social distancing, these lockdowns are going to be wreaking economic havoc. And is there a way to approach this differently, maybe to focus on really just protecting the elderly and the more vulnerable with chronic disease and immunocompromised? So I'm just curious if you have a perspective or take on that. I am very sensitive to the issue that the unintended consequences of our social distancing and disrupting the economic fabric of the company is of the country is going to have uh, very severe and long-lasting consequences. In fact, I think the consequences of some of the socioeconomic decisions that have been made will probably be more severe than necessarily the virus itself. And so when you have large numbers of people who are unable to afford medications, health insurance, access to health care, good food, can't pay the rents. The psychosocial implications of that are not something that should be dismissed lightly. So I understand why there, why there are policy differences and a debate going on about this issue. I think that there is much that we do not know. But what we do know is, is that the only efforts that have to date been shown to be successful in China, in other Asian countries, has been very strict social distancing and very strict quarantining of patients who are infected or at risk of being infected. And the fact that China, who is probably eight weeks ahead of us, has been able to break the cycle of infection and looks like they have found a way in the path forward 
is the only evidence that I know of that suggests that we have to do the same thing. Now, it may be that there are parts of the country that could be handled differently, that could have fewer restrictions, and that would allow economic life to return towards normal quicker. But as far as I know, a virus doesn't follow state boundaries, and a virus doesn't fail to spread because um, because of different economic situations. So uh, I think that we are in this together as a country, and we're going to have to have a unified strategy on how to deal with this. Yeah, that's so helpful. And it seems to me to make sense. I completely agree with you. I wonder at the same time if we need to augment what we're currently doing with some sort of parallel intervention around the social determinants of health, because I do think that there could be a rebound effect of that if we let it go unintended. And again, if this pandemic continues and our need to uh, have the social distancing continues for the next you know, few weeks or months, I, I suspect we're going to see some of that rebound impact of the social determinants of health, even in the short term. I completely agree. These are very real issues that can't be ignored and have to be dealt with. I think the stimulus package, which is unprecedented in terms of its size, is trying to begin to address some of the economic impacts. Now, it's no way going to uh, replace the income of many Americans who have been dramatically harmed economically by this, but it's a step towards trying to address that. I think we have to have similar steps in trying to address the associated increases in anxiety, depression, symptoms of post-traumatic stress that accompany these types of pandemics and the other impacts of social isolation. And I do think that there needs to be more efforts addressed towards that, but I do think that people are finding things that are effective. And so many people are changing the way that they view their interaction with work and finding ways to do telework. Healthcare is finding ways to do telehealth. People are finding ways to relate to each other in the community that are not, that to me show signs of hope and hopefulness in treating each other better and with more respect. I went to the grocery store yesterday, which was a very different experience than shopping before, where people stayed six feet apart and uh, were very respectful of social distancing. But there was a kindness. There was sort of a shared experience in the community that I hadn't felt before. And it was, in some ways, pleasant and unifying at the same time as being scary that life had changed. And so this will impact us, but humans are adaptable. And as long as we have a common spirit of humanity and caring for one another, I think that we have the ability to get through this. I do think that's so important, the human side and the relational consequences and how we deal with them. You have obviously had a very, very unique experience in terms of working at a high level in a federal government and being the secretary of the veteran affairs. and and the Undersecretary of Health, again, two different presidents. Is there anything you would offer to healthcare leaders in healthcare systems and health plan systems and at state and federal level? Is there anything from your experience you would offer, not so much critique, but maybe recommendations or suggestions that might be helpful? I think we're seeing 
real differences in leadership throughout the country right now on display every day on our televisions and the way we get information through social media. What leaders have to do that are responsible for the lives of people and in making decisions is they have to make their decisions based upon strong beliefs that they hold, whether that is in data or in uh, evidence that they see, or in the principles of why they're in their leadership positions in the first place. And it's very important to keep true to your principles and your beliefs and to continue to speak out, even if it may not appear to be popular or the, the direction that the political winds are shifting in that what we really need in government is people who are competent at their job, people who have experience, and people who have the strength and conviction to stand up for what they believe. And what we don't need are leaders that are willing to change their minds and shift their positions because they think it's going to be a popular thing to do, that we can't afford to make mistakes when it comes to the magnitude of the consequences if we make the wrong decisions here. And so we're seeing people that are very courageous stand up and say that they don't have the supplies that they need and say that they're not willing to take no for an answer. And we hear people who say that, you know, they're going to follow the data. And of course, we all hope that it's better than what some of the projections have been made that are out there. But it's the job of a leader to plan for the worst and to be prepared and then to make adjustments based upon what the evidence is showing on a more frequent basis. So as now a practicing physician, and I know you've continued to practice over the past few years, and as a leader, what's your experience in terms of how COVID-19 has already changed the practice of medicine? Well, I think this is the first time for many people in healthcare, whether you're a physician, nurse, pharmacist, respiratory therapist, that people have really had to think through limited resources and supplies, how you triage and how you begin to start planning on something at a mass level like this. So I think that this experience, and we're certainly not through it and certainly probably not through the worst of it, is going to change and impact almost everybody who's involved in healthcare as a sort of foundational event that will stay with them. And it reminds people about why they went into the healing professions. It reminds people about the vulnerability that we all have because our healthcare workers are putting themselves and their families at risk just by going to work every day. And it is going to also remind people that without the resources put into scientific discovery and advancing our work, in this case against viruses, that there's often little that people in healthcare can do if the tools and treatments aren't there, other than to be there and to be a caring individual to help people through probably some of the worst times in their lives. Mm-hmm. How do you think that this experience we're having now with COVID-19, how do you think it's going to reframe healthcare in the future for years to come? I think it's probably going to help people understand that what we need is a more integrated healthcare system, that the fragmented pieces of 
some hospitals ha have enough of things and others don't. They're using garbage bags as gowns. The fact that there's not a equal distribution of access to care, that the disparities in that and inequities in communities really do matter. Um, the fact that healthcare costs can dramatically go through uh, fluctuations when you see the demand on hospital services and healthcare services like this, but this is going to bring us at a policy level to thinking much differently about how we deliver healthcare. I think it is going to change the way that we deliver healthcare. I think, for example, the regulatory and economic barriers to telehealth are probably going to uh, be a long-lasting change and one that, frankly, I think has been overdue. Telehealth has never been limited by its technological capabilities. It's been limited by the fact that there haven't been payment sources and that the regulatory barriers to state lines and, and other regulations have prevented it from being widely adopted. And so I think that will change. And I think that there'll be a much greater uh, understanding of the role of hygiene and simple measures in keeping people healthy and an appreciation for some of the more fundamental parts of public health that that people have seemed to forgot when everything was turning into high-tech medicine that uh, you have to sort of return to some of the basics. This doesn't look all that much different than 1918 with the influenza vaccine and the flooding of hospitals, the scenes that we're seeing in Italy and Spain and now even beginning to be seen in New York. And so we have to remember that some of those same lessons of, of you know, public health and pandemics are really different because we're in 2020, but in many ways not that different than they were 100 years ago. You said so much. I think that was so wise. And this is going to change our orientation in terms of public health and the larger healthcare system in so many ways. One could have the mindset or perspective that this is a, you know, once in a lifetime occurrence and we don't have to think about it and put it behind us. But I suspect that you're absolutely right. At least what I'm hearing from you is that that shouldn't be the case at all. In fact, this should completely reorient how we think about our system with keeping in mind that this could happen again. In fact, I mean, the coming flu season in the fall and next winter will be upon us soon enough. And, you know, my understanding is that there could be a reoccurrence even of this particular virus, coronavirus too, and as well as the regular flu season. Well, no, I, I think what we, what the big impact is going to be how this affects the younger generation. This is a generation that's already motivated to take on some of the big issues that face society. And this, frankly, wasn't on the list. As you know, climate change has been a very, very big issue for younger people in this country, as well as some older people, but particularly the younger people who, who understand that the world is interconnected. And if we don't protect the planet in a way that's responsible, that that is going to put the entire population at risk. And I think now there's an example of a similar type of impact from a public health crisis. And so I think it's going to motivate 
a lot of people in the younger generation to think more about these global issues, to get more involved, to realize that even though nobody had ever heard about this virus, you know, three months, four months ago, that the world could change. And it's going to create much greater interest in, in, in a lot of these topics, including climate change. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think you're absolutely right. It's going to change our perspective in so many ways. And, you know, I hadn't thought of that sort of analogy or the comparison, but it does put healthcare in a completely different light. It literally on that same level and, and the same magnitude as global warming. This is a worldwide public health issue that has huge ramifications. I mean, in the cost of healthcare in this country in particular, but across the world were significant before, but this changes the whole equation because it's now impacting right. the economy, right? It's just, who would have ever predicted, right, that it would have affected healthcare, right? Would have affected the economy in this particular way. Families, individuals, small businesses literally are going out of business as restaurants and bars and, and stores are being shut down. It, our cities and towns are, are becoming ghost towns, right? I just went out the other night. It was yep. just remarkable. My 13-year-old son said to me, why are they keeping the lights out on here? Absolutely. Is there anything else that you want to just add? And again, thank you so much for your time. Any final thought or comment or, or message you want to share with us all? You know, I, I can't think of anything right now. I enjoyed our conversation. I did too. And again, I think your focus on leadership and your broader vision of the larger healthcare system and on the impact on the younger generations, and this is going to clearly change so much in so many ways that we haven't even begun to unbundle that. And I learned that from listening to you just in the last few minutes. It's just, it's a very, very real, expansive, and probably sooner than we think outcomes that are going to occur. So can't thank you enough for taking the time to speak with us today. Absolutely. Glad to do that. So folks, that was the interview we recorded last week with Dr. David Shulkin, Undersecretary of Health uh, in the Obama administration and the ninth Secretary of Veteran Affairs in the Trump administration. I hope you've benefited from this podcast episode. My goal is to provide you with useful information as well as encouragement and inspiration and to serve as a catalyst for reframing and transforming our healthcare system. And as I do each and every episode, I'd like to conclude by thanking all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients or those of you who are supporting those who are taking care of patients. You know, in these times, especially I and we truly appreciate you for what you do. And we recognize how critically important your work is to individuals, families, communities, and our society at large. My friends and colleagues, please, please, please take care of yourself. And please share this podcast series with your colleagues. This is Zeb Neuwirth. You've been listening to a limited series on how COVID-19 is reframing healthcare in America, part of the Creating a New Healthcare podcast. Until next time, be safe and be well.